0: This is the Bear Cast presented by Bird Colchian Ford. Bird Culcian Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by Well Med Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand-new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. We come to you this week on location, kind of like old times in a way. Not that those were good old times in a way, but uh, we are on location this week outside of the studio. Craig Smoke with you. Sikkim365 writer, radio host, joined by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter for Sikkim365.com. Got Jack McKenzie, Running the mother back at the home studios, and another busy week as the month of May crawls towards its midway point. Now past its midway point, got a lot of postseasons going on, getting underway, and a lot of notes to get to as well. But uh, Grayson, it's uh, another week in the book, uh, another week closer to football. And it's definitely the summertime. If you just walk outside for about two seconds, how are you doing this week, man?
1: Yeah, I'm doing good. And you're right; it, it's kind of weird uh, being off-site. It's the first time we've done this in a while. Um, so yeah, it, it's different. But you know, we gotta do what we gotta do. So I'm excited to kind of get rolling, talk about a little bit of the things that are happening this week. Um, obviously, no football, but some other sports going on, and of course, a little bit of recruiting information, which is always nice as well.
0: Yeah, there is uh, some recruiting to talk about. We'll start with some recruiting. We'll also get into uh, your mailbag, of course, to episode as we normally do, and uh, a couple notes sprinkled in between. But uh, starting off with that football note, Grayson, uh, now 10 commits in the 2023 recruiting class, as Last week, Dave Aranda and company get, uh, I guess, a somewhat unexpected commit. I don't know if that would be fair to say. I know it was unexpected for me when I got the alert from Sikkim365.com, but many athlete Dawson Pendergrass announces his commitment to Baylor. Uh, He has some nice offers, uh, as I posted in, uh, I think it was the good, the bad, and the ugly. When you look at the teams that offered him, the Texas Techs, uh, UTSA, schools like that, Those are staffs that I think a lot of people appreciate their evaluation process. Uh, So I think that that says something first and foremost, but also, of course, the Baylor staff uh, evaluates pretty well, and they obviously wanted him. Uh, So Dawson Pendergrass, not necessarily somebody majorly on the radar, but now commit number 10. What are your thoughts, and uh, what does this mean for the 2023 class?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an unexpected one in ways. Um, I was kind of expecting him to wait a little bit before he made any decision. Um, And he was a guy who had visited a little bit, but really there wasn't a whole lot of um, massive momentum towards him making a commitment decision. So, yeah, it was a little unexpected in that way. I think it got even more unexpected when we all kind of realized the position that Baylor thought he was going to fill, which is kind of a third-down power back, um, which is you know, good. You look at his film, you see the power, you see the balance, you see the athleticism. Do so you feel like, Oh yeah, he can fill that. But you also see the tape and you see him being an elite defensive player as well, which linebacker is kind of where everyone I think thought he was going to play, but going through his numbers, I mean, over 4,000 yards rushing 50 touchdowns over a thousand yards receiving, 15 touchdowns those are just in the last 3 years um also has 13 interceptions and 155 tackles so he does it all at Mineola and i mean he's a very very good athlete and i think that's what the most intriguing part of his game is and he's also a great culture guy as well very good kid fits kind of everything Baylor's trying to build and so if you kind of look at the whole you see a very good football player who i believe can translate to this Baylor offense, uh, it's just a matter of how long does it take him to get to that point, and you know how much of it is him dominating the competition he's going against, or is he just a freak athlete and superstar? That's kind of the the question I think always with smaller school guys. But I think at the end of the day, you are going to see a guy who is just a very good football player, can do a lot of things, and he's going to start off as a power running back for this Baylor offense.
0: Yeah, looking at his offer list, uh, Arkansas, another school that offered him uh, Air Force, Colorado State, uh, Texas Tech, as I mentioned, Indiana, UTSA, uh, a few others as well, North Texas. So a nice little offer list. Definitely, like I said, some staffs that uh, I appreciate their evaluations. And I like the size, man, 6'3", 200-plus pounds, Um, obviously pretty limber, uh, limber, limber. Uh, nimble on his feet. I think nimble was the combination of words I'm trying to make there, but he's uh, got some athleticism to him. There's watching his highlights, so uh, I know some people were kind of less scratching their heads like, who, what? But uh, I like the pickup. I think it's interesting, and I'm always even more intrigued by guys that can fill multiple roles. It always seems like those guys usually work out because they're versatile enough that they're going to find a spot to see the field on.
1: Yeah, and I kind of think it's probably the best part about this is is that Baylor has a specific role in mind for him. So they watch his film and they're saying, Hey, he can fit this role and really come in and be able to make an impact in that way. It's not as much of what Rule did where it's like, we'll get him on campus and just see what he can do. It's like we know he can do this. Now we just need to develop him into that. So I find that really intriguing. Um, And yeah, I think it's a good pickup. It is a little surprising, the timing of it. Um, But at the end of the day, he's a good football player. And Baylor decided that um, this was a guy they needed. And Dawson decided Baylor was the spot for him. So I think it all kind of came together for both sides at this time. So
0: Dawson Pendergrass is commit number 10 coming out of East Texas, Minneola high school. And uh, I guess now uh, as we do every time there's a commit, uh, where does that leave us at the moment with them sitting at 10 as we go over the halfway point of the month of May?
1: Yeah. So I don't think they're done at running back. Um, I think they're probably going to take another running back in this class. At least that would be my guess or a transfer. One or the other, there's going to be another addition in my mind. Um, as far as kind of looking around uh, at the other positions, they still have a long way to go, honestly. I mean, offensive line, defensive line, both need to be addressed heavily. Um, and then cornerback. Cornerback needs to be addressed as well. So you're going to see a lot of uh, offers, a lot of visitors um, for those specific positions and guys that Baylor is really going to make a conscientious effort to land. Um, obviously, right now, I've reported this on the site, but it looks like there's going to be three official visit dates in the month of June. Um, we'll see if they narrow that down and try to make it two big ones. But as of right now, three kind of smaller ones in the month of June, and then uh, potentially one or two later on um, in the recruitment process as well, whether that's in July or in December after the season. So uh, still a lot of questions in that regard, uh, but June's going to be a very busy time, and I think uh, kind of a month where you're going to see a lot more commitments, and I expect Baylor to probably be up near you know, 15, maybe 20 commitments by uh, the end of June slash middle of July.
0: So we uh, should be in for a pretty good run here over the next few weeks as far as recruiting goes, and uh, that will be welcome news because there's not a lot of other news going on right now in regards to football because, of course, they're right in the midst of what's basically their offseason. I did see a lot of guys graduating last week. Uh, Squirrel Williams was one of those, among many others, uh, who were able to get their diplomas. And no one, you know, I, I just remember his tweet in particular there were several guys that, that walked, and then, of course, a lot of other athletes from other sports as well. So, uh, cool to see some people getting their caps and, and all that. Shoot, Squirrel can have a couple of degrees by the time he leaves uh, because he's already got one. He's still got you know good amount of time left. So, uh, good on him and everyone else for that. But,. Um, I guess is there anything else football wise that you've taken note of? We're getting some game weekend matchups released. You know, I saw where the primetime games are getting announced and Fox is announcing their big slate, but uh is there anything that maybe I'm not thinking of that we need to touch
1: on football wise? No, like Dawson Pendergrass was the big story this week for football. Um, Not a whole lot else, but yeah, the official visits, like I mentioned, I think are probably the the other big news item for the week. But outside of that, yeah, it's a a quiet time period. So uh, we've talked about this coming. So now, you know, it's going to be a lot about the uh, football side of things and the recruiting side specifically.
0: Yeah, well, it was cool to see, uh, you know, ABC primetime games, Georgia, Oregon, Notre Dame, Ohio State, FSU, LSU, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Florida, Florida State on a Friday night. So it's at least fun to see those coming down the pipeline and seeing some of that start to line up. So uh, elsewhere, Mitch uh, tennis in front of a raucous home crowd uh, last weekend, able to come back and defeat Stanford 4-3 to three to advance to the elite eight. Uh, And what a win it was, what a uh, dramatic scene it was, and what a celebration it was. Uh, Still, you know, a bit of a ways to go now, but they uh, were able to win their matches at home and uh, able to pull out against Stanford, Grayson, and uh, just showed a lot of fight and a lot of toughness. And now it's, you know, a couple steps away from playing for a championship for the uh, Baylor men's tennis team.
1: Yeah, I mean, what a... What a stretch it's been. I mean, they have gotten pushed far more than I thought they would against Texas A&M and Stanford. I mean, both of those matchups have been extremely competitive. Um, And so now, yeah, Baylor's got to play Tennessee, a team that beat them once earlier this year uh, at the ITA uh, championships way early in the season, in the indoor as well, so not even outdoor. So this is a familiar opponent, but on a different surface and two different teams at this point in the year. Uh, But I'm really intrigued by it. Uh, Tennessee is the number six seed. They're a very good program, a very good team. Um, And I think Baylor is, frankly, going to have to play better tennis than they have the first, you know, these past two matches. Um, They're going to have to play more like the team we saw. Uh, face TCU and face Texas during big 12 play. So we'll see if they can get turned around. The good news is, is they haven't played their best tennis yet. And so hopefully that means that this stretch run, you know, over the last three games, whether it's elite eight, final four championship, they can put their best product on the court because if they do, they do have an opportunity to win a championship here. Um, And we've said that for quite a few years, they've had great opportunities um, and they have another one right here with a very senior-laden uh, team, and so I'm hoping they can take advantage of it. But I will say, I, I think Tennessee is going to push them, and Tennessee's been frankly playing better tennis than Baylor over the last week or so.
0: Yeah, they had what the last two weekends in particular. Well, I mean, really, last weekend got dicey down three to one. Um, and they've had some close calls that they've been able to kind of maneuver around. But you're right now at this point, you can't really afford to get down 3-1 and expect to just rally every time. So uh, the Vols are coming in hot. They won 4-0 uh, in the opening round or in the, the past round. Uh, so they took care of business pretty quickly and ha- got to sit around and you know kind of just get mentally ready for Baylor. While Baylor's coming off of more of an emotional time to win. So uh, Michael. And company doing a great job uh but yeah now it's it's time to get over that hump so to speak i mean they played for a couple titles now already you'd love to see them actually bring one home that would be just incredible to, to national title in, in tennis but uh gotta win a couple more to, to get that, well, guess what two yeah two more right two more to win the title
1: three more gotta be three Tennessee home? and then the final four
0: okay yeah that's right all right so men's tennis it, it in the uh, lead Eight round. Uh, congrats to Michael Woodson and company on reaching this point. Now let's see if they can't bring home a championship. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you've got the NBA playoffs rolling along. It's right out his Phoenix Suns. He got to see some mop-up duty as the uh, Suns were down 40-plus to the Mavericks. As a Mavericks fan, I love to see it. Cool. That Ish got to get like some mop-up duty, and he made the most of it too. He came in there and had like ten and five in five minutes of action. Uh, but that was that was something else the other night. And Ish Winn writes NBA season comes to a close.
1: Yeah, good for him. I mean, signed that two-way deal earlier in the year. He's going to be on the Suns next year as well, which is really cool. Um, So I'm excited for him. He came in, had a nice little moment there in what was a terrible moment for his team. I mean, just one of the all-time worst performances I've ever seen in a Game 7 or just honestly in a playoff game. Um, and the Mavericks played really well too, but yeah, it was nice to see Ish come in and be a bright spot on what was otherwise just a utter collapse by the Phoenix Suns who honestly they were the best team in the league for pretty much the entire year and then just showed up in game seven and laid an absolute day.
0: Yes, they did. And as a Mavericks fan, it was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. And I know you as a Spurs fan, you didn't really like it that much, but that's okay. You guys have had your
1: fun. Yeah, you just don't like seeing teams play that bad in a Game 7. You know, you would have liked to see it be like a somewhat competitive game, but even the the Bucs versus Celtics game ended up being lopsided by the end as well. So it was just like two duds for Game 7s that had so much promise, which, you know, for a guy who didn't really have a horse in the race, it was kind of, you know, tough to watch, but it's like blowout after blowout in Game 7. Oh, well, congrats to the Mavs. Congrats to the Celtics. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, elsewhere, just uh, thinking of some things that have occurred over the last week, uh, this is where my column, the good, the bad, the ugly, can come in handy to really get into, like, all the nitty-gritty of like, every little thing that kind of happened along the way. So if there's something, like we didn't mention, like men's quidditch or something, then that's probably in, like, good, bad, ugly, right? So we won't, you know, touch on every uh, – type of thing here, but we did get a couple of notes last week. The arena is going to start getting underway as far as the building of the Foster Pavilion. They're going to start breaking ground here in the month. Uh, Macros confirmed that to us last week, just kind of reconfirming that timeline. Um, certainly, uh, Waco's begging for more construction, so that's great news. Uh, but, no, really, in this case, that's uh, exciting that that's starting to kind of get back on track. We've been seeing a lot of the uh, – The digging up and kind of clearing out of that area. But now uh, he does confirm that they will start construction on that next month. So uh, that's very exciting. Um, And I guess, uh, I mean, pre mailbag, man, is there anything that like major that we have not touched on that we need to talk about?
1: No, I mean, the Foster Pavilion is a big thing, like you mentioned. And I think that's a good sign that the football ops building is probably going to get started this summer as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So both of those can get rolling this summer. That would be great. Uh, We've seen how fast the Welcome Center is just building like crazy. I mean, it's going to be done by the end of the summer. So. If they can keep that same momentum, that would be great. I mean, they could be able to knock those out hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, so it was great to hear that uh, both of those coaches, Aranda and um, you know Scott Drew and Nikki Collin, you know they need these these resources. As things are starting to kind of blow up for those programs, you know, this can kind of be that tipping point to take them even more over the top. So it's a big storyline, no doubt about it. And it'll help give them the resources to recruit and continue to win at a very high level.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about both projects. I mean, I think they're both needed, and they'll both be uh, incredible additions. I mean, I know there was all the angst over when and where. Basketball arena and all that, but I mean, just they've made their plans and now they're breaking ground and like that's. I'm just ready to see it all completed, but uh, gonna have to have a bit more pain. But at least it's it's gone from a pipe dream to actually they're starting construction, so that's pretty big news. There was one thing, I knew there was something that was nagging me that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Austin Novosad, they, the quarterback commit, uh, picked up a Stanford offer. Uh, last week, now normally, Grayson, I wouldn't bat an eye at many offers coming off the Novoset as well, uh, but Stanford, that's a little bit different because that's not one that gets handed out that much, a Stanford offer. That's one where like, you have to have your academics in your ducks in a row. Is that any cause for concern, you think, for Baylor fans about their quarterback commit?
1: You know, actually, that's not really one that is very concerning for me. Um, kind of based on everything I've heard with Austin and just conversations I've had with him. I'm much more worried about a Ohio State or a Texas a and you know, two teams that have shown a lot of interest, really just, you know, throwing everything they can at him. That would probably be much more cause for concern. Um, I will say he's very locked in. Like, I'm not really all that concerned about any schools, to be honest. And Stanford particularly was a school that he mentioned that came and visited him uh, when I went out and saw him a couple weeks ago. And he thought an offer might be coming. And basically, you know, he was excited about it. You know, you're excited about every offer, obviously excited about the coaches. But I think that Stanford being kind of where it is, it's kind of full. I also think it's not really a program that's showing a ton of momentum on the field right now. Um, It's really things that he's going to look at regardless of how good the academics are. Um, And also, it's a little bit harder to early enroll at Stanford, which was something he mentioned that uh, is a little bit of a drawback uh, for a school like Stanford. It would require him to take, I believe, more AP classes. And I think he'd have to take some in the summer, something along those lines in order to Uh, Enroll early, which he wouldn't have to do at other schools. So while I think it's a big offer, I don't think that that is one that's really cause for concern when it comes to Austin Novoset. Uh, As far as the other guys, AM and Ohio State, you know, there's a chance that those schools may offer and may try to get him to visit. Uh, But right now, you know, I think he's a bear and he's been pretty locked in with that ever since he committed. And I don't see him wavering or flipping. Um, You know, when I talk to him, he had nothing but positive things to say about the, the way the staff handled the Blake Chapin um, choice. He loved that decision. He felt like it was going to really expand their offense, which is something he wants to see. Um, it also shows him that this staff is willing to allow the young guy to play if he's better than the veteran. And I think that it just shows a lot of positive things, and Austin definitely took notice of that decision.
0: Well, that's good to hear. I mean, that's just something that I know a few years ago probably meant more than it does now. Uh, that Stanford offer—I just know what it, like Connor Weddington and guys like that who were probably bound for a Texas or an A and M or whatever—that Stanford offer came in, and it's not for everybody, but for some guys that is like a like that's a that's a game changer because of that degree. But that's why I ask, and that's good to hear from a Baylor perspective. Uh, but uh, that was another note from this past week, and he'll continue to pick up offers. Uh, that shouldn't be any type of a surprise. So uh, there's kind of the news and notes uh, section of the podcast week. Um, again, there's other sports going on. Track and field had, you know, a nice weekend winning a bunch of big 12 championships, um, you know, softball's going to a postseason tournament, uh, so on and so forth. But a lot of that stuff, again, you can read the bad and the ugly each week. And some of that we will also be covering in our mailbag as well. So let's get into the mailbag and start off with Baylor 91, who, does ask a baseball question to start things off with, saying what are the odds a new baseball team starts around June 1st?
1: I think it needs to start soon. I mean, another series, another loss. Um, And, you know, at least they competed this weekend against Kansas State, but uh, it's just tough. Uh, I mean, there's still a chance that they finish in last in the Big 12, but at least they got the 1-1, so they have cushion. Um, But my goodness, it's been a disappointing season all around. And I think they need to change. So I don't know if it'll be June 1st, but I do think change is coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't like really getting into, you know, talking about people's jobs too much. Um, It's just not fun, you know, unless somebody is so despised. But Steve Rodriguez isn't despised by any means. There's a lot of people who enjoy him and, um, you know, there's been some good moments, but yeah, man, they're just another series they should have won, quite frankly, but meltdown and uh, end up dropping two of three. And uh, now they are barely hanging on to that last spot in the Big 12 tournament. And uh, if total chaos were to break loose this weekend, Kansas earns, you know, a sweep and Baylor somehow doesn't win one game, then they would be in the Big 12 tournament. Now that's probably not going to happen. I uh, think Kansas is not probably going to get a sweep, I don't think. And then I would think Baylor, well, I don't know about them winning a game. So, yeah, it's going to be – it's it's too close for comfort. And had they not had some blown saves and, you know, blown games earlier in the year, then they'd be living comfortably right now as far as, you know, being fully in the tournament and not having to worry about anything. But they do go this weekend having to, you know, basically feel like they have to win a game. And they're going to have to be scoreboard-washing in some way. So, that's not ideal and, and not really where to be in. So I don't know about June 1st to answer your question, Baylor 91, but I do wonder if, um, I do feel like there have to be some conversations going on just about, all right, what's the plan here? You know, depending on how this thing closes down, um, because it's just, again, like we've been saying, there's just not a lot of momentum there right now. And, um, you know, the last weekend didn't help them at all. That was just a, an ugly way to kind of end things in, uh, in Manhattan. So we'll see. But I definitely think there are conversations at least uh, happening. We'll say that. Scotty, be the Baylor King, whether it is a former Baylor athlete or not, has inspired you the most recently?
1: Um, jeez, That's a good question. Do you have Inspire? one?
0: Inspire? Uh, no, I'm not. Not been inspired by any Baylor athlete lately. No, um, I mean there's some cool stories, but uh, inspired? No, I have one.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'd love to say someone like Abram Smith, who just went from hardly playing, tearing his ACL, being injured, to being the all-time leading rusher in Baylor history for a season. Um, that's pretty inspiring and pretty crazy. Um, but you know, I, I, it's so hard to say one has inspired me. And the reason why I say this, cause Ish was kind of in no man's land, I feel like. And then he found his way back to the NBA, wasn't even playing for a while and then got this opportunity and has taken the most of it. So, you know, I give Ish a lot of props cause I didn't think Ish was, you know, one of the better Baylor players I've seen in my time. Um, Yet he's found a way to stick and found his way back to the NBA. So that one has been really impressive to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just taking the word literally. And so that's yeah. why I say no one's inspired me. But, you know, in terms of just feeling good for people and, you know, being impressed by the way they, you know, been able to manage. Things, yeah, it's just. It's somebody that I think some people could look to and be inspired by. Uh, just a you know, a roundabout way that he's, you know, journeyed all the way to Phoenix through playing college football randomly at the end of his basketball career to NFL dropping the bucket to you know, all that. That's been pretty cool. Um, and we did get a good example from Scotty who asked the question. He said, I admit for me it is my friend Christy Wallace who has dealt with two torn ACLs in one in twenty eighteen and now a starter for the Atlantic. WNBA after getting the sixth man of the year in the pro league in Australia so that's great man uh, I liked Christy when she was around here although that seems like years and years ago now at this point point. and I guess it kind of is in some way hey if she's inspiring people that's fantastic and uh, you know I, like I said I'm taking the definition literally but yeah certainly I look to stories like her or ish or any number of others and um you know, I'm impressed. I'll say that. Impressed, and uh, I can see where others would definitely be inspired. So great for Christy, and she's one of a good number of Baylor Lady Bear alums that are in the WPA right now. So thank you, Scotty, as always. Chase Bears, for as long as I've been on this site, this is my first question to send to the Bearcast. Well, thank you, Chase. Okay, the both of you are on the Big scheduling committee for when the fourth team enters the league, how would you schedule the season out? Would it be split East West conference or would it be a conference with 14 teams, no split, or would you choose pods pick either and then lay out the schedule for the year 2023? How would you rotate the teams in 2024?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, and I think for us, it's about keeping the Texas teams together and then kind of adding the West schools to that mix um, and then everyone else is on the other side. So I guess that would be what Baylor, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, uh, BYU, Houston, and I'm missing one. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma they'd State. Yeah. yeah, they'd be in that one as well, and then the rest on the other side. Um, and so you would play all this, all the uh, teams in your, um, I guess, division and then you'd play, what would that be, uh, six, you'd play three teams from the other side. And I think it would just rotate just like the SEC does it now. You know, it, you rotate every year between those three three different teams from the other side, so you're not playing the same team every single year. Um, and I would not do locked-in rivalries on the other side since you're playing all your rivals in division. Um, and the reason I say that is because you get stuck with – what is it, A M plays Vanderbilt every single year or something ridiculous like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of how I would lay it out, and I think that's how I would divvy it out throughout the, the coming years as far as the schedule rotation would be the six in your division and then the three, three on the other side rotating.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I've gone back and forth on this because I think you probably do need to have divisions, but then there's this whole, hey, we don't need divisions for a championship game anymore. So that's where it's kind of gone for a loop. And, well, if you don't have to have divisions, then, I mean, I'm kind of all for just, you know, some other format. Now, exactly how you would do that, I guess it would be similar to the NFL where, I mean, basically you're going to have to have standard opponents every year no matter what, whether they're in a division or not, just because – it just makes it easier to schedule out. So, yeah, I mean, I would go with you have to play TCU every year and you have to play Texas Tech every year. You play the Texas teams every year. I mean, I think that that just makes sense. You play the Texas teams every year. And then with whatever's remaining, I mean, there's the five other schools, that have, quote unquote, other if you were to do it that way. Um, I just think you, you know, if you've got two other games, then UCF and ISU are one year and then. You home and away it, and then you do Kansas-Kansas State one year and home and away it, and then you do West Virginia-Cincinnati and you home and away it. That would be probably the the best bet. But, again, it would depend on the number of games. So be one, two, three, four, five. If they're playing how many – they've been playing nine conference games. How many conference games are they playing? That's the other That's thing. a good
1: question. Yeah. Because yeah, so, the SEC plays eight.
0: Yeah, and they've been playing nine, but do they want to continue playing nine? I mean, nine's been more of a necessity, but if you're going to be back at 12, well, you can't play everybody, so are you still going to play nine? I don't know. Um, so that kind of complicates things a little bit more well. So we're not going to be able to get the exact formula for you. If it was up to me, um, it would be, yeah, an east-west thing if you do a split. Again, you don't have to do a split, but if you do it, then, yeah, I think you
1: would be east-west, Um but I don't know, man. I kind of like your idea of not doing a split. And the reason yeah. I say that is because you end up having that South big 12, South big 12 North thing where the North is just terrible. And the South is just, you know, having three 11 win teams in it, like they did that one year. So that's the only hard part with that. Now, even if you don't do a division though, you still have to play everyone. And it's still luck of the draw with who you play. Um, but I kind of like the idea of doing no division. You just rotate the schedule each year. I still like playing nine conference games, though. I prefer that. Um, so I think I'd go with that three non-con. One of those has to be a power five opponent. You play your nine conference games. The top two teams in the conference go to the Big 12 championship.
0: Yeah, I think that's where I am, too. Um Divisions are cool. They're fine, but yeah, with the with the recent talk, I just I don't know if they're necessary now at this point um, with the way the Big Twelve is going to be set up. Because you're right, like they're if you did it with like one year's like the Kansas schools, Iowa State, Virgi- West Virginia, Cincinnati, UCF, like give me the other side of that all day long. That other side with Houston and Baylor and Oak State and Tech, like, like come on, that would that would be A little lopsided, most likely. So, yeah, I say no divisions, uh, just 14 teams and however you set that schedule. I I obviously don't have that in my head right now, how exactly you would do that. But, uh, yeah, no split and just rotate. Um, How would you choose pods? I think Baylor's got to be with uh, TCU Tech in Houston. I mean, that just – if you were to do pods, that's got to be – but then again, is it 12 teams, 314 pods, 216 pods, like – I don't know. Whatever the pod format would be, you got to be at the Texas schools. I'll just say that.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. Um,
0: let's see. Uh, pick either schedule for 2023. How would you rotate the teams 2024? Well, we kind of talked about that. Yeah, like I don't know exactly how it would rotate. Um, just, I don't know, Baylor, Cincy, West Virginia, Tech, TCU, KSU, and then the next year you play Houston. Hey UCF, Oak State, ISU. I don't have an exact for what I would care to be there, but yeah, I think I am anti uh, division and more about the dice roll and try to play as many teams as you can. Um, but I, I don't have a good idea on rotating right now.
1: Exactly. Yeah, either. I think that's hard to predict. To be yeah. honest, um, how they would do that, but I do think you need to have your every year opponents. You know, whether it's two or three that you play every single year. Um, I think that just builds rivalries. It builds a better conference when you have those kind of storylines. But I'm kind of digging the idea of doing no divisions because we've seen just how south those can go at times. I mean, like you look in the SEC, you know, the SEC West has been a juggernaut while the SEC East has been down for a while outside of, you know, Georgia. Um, and so you just get those situations and I just I don't really like those situations. It's not fun for anyone when, you know, a school that's nine and three is making the title game and the teams on the other side there's like three ten win teams. Like that that's not fun for anyone.
0: Well look at last year it wouldn't have been Bayer Oklahoma State. It would have been like Oklahoma State versus Iowa State if there was divisions. <laughs> and that would've been garbage. I mean that would have been a garbage title game and look how much different everything would have been you said you had your two best teams playing and so i'm i'm adamant that it's about the two best teams and therefore yeah no division keep them with the texas schools every year so there's three automatic opponents if you oklahoma state's involved in that i don't care but you got to play houston tc and tech and then as far as the rotations and all that um you know again right off the top of my head i don't know but uh definitely rotate them through as much as you can because a lot depends on number of conference games you know all of that but definitely no divisions uh and thanks for the question Chase. hopefully that's not your first and last but uh while we didn't answer it entirely i think we spent a good amount of time on it and uh clearly it's something that a lot of people are talking about and wondering about uh but still there's two more years of oklahoma and texas as well so that's still part of the deal we're not even counting them in this mix for uh you know, the next couple of years as well. But, yeah, in 23-24, that'll be very interesting. I know they're sort of through a lot of that right now. So I think you kind of get the gist, um, no splits, Texas schools, and then kind of the rest of it we'll have to kind of play it right by ear. Hopefully that answers your question, man. Do appreciate it. Hope to hear from you again, back. J.D. 90 says, uh, did the staff see something in Drones in the spring that gives him confidence he could step in and hold down the fort for two to three games this season if Shaping gets hurt this year? On this board, it seemed like Drones was having a terrible spring, but the staff must have seen something in him to think he's ready they were going to tell Gary in time for the transfer portal, right? Uh, so let's start right there, Grayson.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they've seen enough in, in him and C.J. Rogers to feel like they can get through the season. Um, they're also going to add Brayson McHenry, a walk on just, you know, to add a little more depth. But I think they're going to roll with those guys. Now, the offense is going to look completely different if Kyron Drones or C.J. Rogers is in the game, if it's not Shapin. So uh, th- there will be a lot of work to do and there will be a downgrade in the offense if Shapin does get hurt. Um, But I think they feel okay with what they saw from Drones and Rodgers to feel like, hey, we'll go into the season with these guys, we'll ride it out, and then get Austin set in December to help that depth again.
0: Yeah, I don't see it as any, uh, like, overly... I mean, I I started it off wrong. I I see it as they just have confidence in Kyron Jones. I mean, I don't feel like he had, like, a bad spring. I don't really feel like that, that was the case. I mean, I, granted, didn't watch him a whole lot, but, I mean, what I saw seemed okay. Um, but I'll leave it to others who may have thought otherwise, but I, I didn't think he had, like, a terrible spring. Uh, also, does C.J.
1: Rogers get a scholarship? Um, I think he probably is going to have to get one because they need a third quarterback on scholarship, and... So I think he probably will. The problem is is like you gotta remember they're trying to build out their roster to be the most competitive they can be next season. And so if that means deciding between taking a walk on, I mean a transfer wide receiver or putting a walk on quarterback on scholarship, I'm not sure what that decision will be. And I also think Josh Cameron should probably get a scholarship before CJ Rogers does. So, it's kind of playing the the math game there, but I do think, kind of looking at the numbers, I'm guessing he'll probably get one,
0: yeah, I would assume that if things continue on this trajectory that he's probably bound for one at some point, but I don't know if it's uh just the time yet to make that call, but yeah, definitely they're gonna have to you would think make that call. Uh, he says, I don't know the scholarship math, but it seems like he's earned one if he's QB3. We need to give him one if he's two snaps away from running the offense. So that was from Dak JD90. Uh, thank you, Dak, for the question. But yeah, I mean, we will see. That is, a, that is one that's interesting, but uh, I. I, I Agree with your, your answer there, Grayson. Uh, stat boy, what's more likely to happen? Baylor men's tennis wins a national title this season or Baylor football repeats as Big 12 champions this coming season? Thanks.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with men's tennis, and the only reason for it is just because they're already in the Elite Eight. Yeah, um, They're already here. They're at the end of the year, so they've already made it through the grind of the year. So I'll go with them. Yeah, I'm going with the team that's, you know, three
0: games away from winning a title yeah. <laughs> versus the team that hadn't even played a game yet. Um, that's just an easier bet, to be honest. With That was Vegas. Like, yeah, give me the, the team that's knocking on the door already uh, all the way. Uh, I do think the football team has a chance to do that. But, yeah, men's tennis is knocking on the door, stat Boy, So uh, we'll both roll with them. Bear Cook is Baylor ultimately in the higher than Texas Tech when almost set said and done. 2023 recruiting rank.
1: Yes, I think they will. I think they'll both be near the. I think Baylor will be in the top twenty-five. I think Tech will be closer to thirty.
0: Second, what would a missed golden opportunity be to you in 2022 season? We are bringing a ton of talent back in the trenches. So, we're finishing fourth or fifth in the Big Twelve be a letdown this year. We're finishing third,
1: fourth, fourth or fifth would be a letdown. Yeah, I'm not. sure. Yeah. I'm not looking around at the Big 12 and going, man, this is a deep conference full of 10-win teams. I just don't see it.
0: I'll say this, too, man. I'm already seeing a lot of people blowing smoke for Oklahoma. Like, I know that's, like, the default button, and I know Oklahoma about as well as anybody. But this whole, like, just they're the default champion every year. That, that doesn't fly with me. Like, they might they might win it this year with Brent Venables, but they got a lot of daggum questions, man. Like, I don't know where people are coming from with, like, yo, yeah, they're the, they're the number one team in the Big 12 next year. Like, based on what? Dylan Gabriel? Like, are you kidding me? That, like, who's their skill guys? I mean, half the team's from the transfer portal. I just I, – I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, like, the, people think that just the levy offense is going to score 80 a game or something, but – uh I have my doubts about them just winning the the title. uh, Like I see a lot of people assuming. Um, But, yeah, anything lower than third, which would be right there knocking on the door of the Big 12 title game, would be a massive disappointment in my opinion.
1: Yeah, because I think third means you probably went nine and three at worst. Um, And so I'm kind of thinking that that's around the number they need to get to. Um, Eight and four... I think it would be a little disappointing. So, yeah, I would probably say third is probably okay. Anything less than that is, yeah, I think a disappointment for what they have coming back this year.
0: Uh, Finally, I hate when players get hurt, but we may have a decent chance of shaping getting hurt. You never know. How confident are you in our offense and our coaches to overcome that potential injury if it was to happen? Thanks, guys. Y'all are amazing. Well, Bear Cook, do appreciate it. But I'm already noticing a trend of Blake shaping injury questions. In this mailbag, and uh, I don't want this to become a habit. I understand he got a Big 12 title last year, but he ain't Charlie Brewer. Um, let's not make this a thing every single week. Uh, not you know calling you guys out or nothing, but uh, that's that's two of like the first five questions that are referring to Shapen's injury. So um, all right, but if he gets hurt, and I understand why. I mean, he got hurt last year, but um, do you have confidence in the offense if he gets hurt again, Grayson?
1: Yeah, I think these questions honestly have more to do with the fact that if Shapin doesn't play, the questions are crazy about drones and Rodgers Yeah, there's not a lot of depth. Um, So I get it. Um, I would say that I'm not all that confident in their offense without Shapin. I think they can win games, but it will be a grinded-out type of game like it was with Harry a year ago except with less experience at the quarterback position. So I'd be concerned if they did lose shape. And do I think they could go out and win seven, eight games with a backup quarterback? Probably. Do I think that they could win a big 12 championship with a backup quarterback? I don't think so. And I know they did it with shape in this past year, but I, I don't know that I see a guy on the roster that I'm like, okay, this guy this year can win a big 12 championship and carry this team.
0: Well, and also, if it was Gary Bohannon, it would be the same questions because he actually missed more time last year than Blake Shapin did. So, you know, I don't—I would assume we would be getting the same questions about Gary, and uh, his was not even contact, uh, whereas Shapin's was. So, you know, if Gary got the job, shapin has gone, and it's still Kyron Drones and um, uh, C.J. Rogers backing him up. So they do that to kind of figure something out depth-wise at QB, and that's the risk that you take when you don't take a quarterback in a class is this is where you can kind of find yourself of not having that that great depth uh, behind your starter. So, yeah, I think that applies to to either quarterback, whoever, uh, whether it would have been shaping or whether it's shaping or whether it would have been both in, But, yeah, it would be tough. It would be tough out. Uh, I almost posted this as well. I, too, am curious about the drone scenario. That must have felt decently confident in his ability. I feel like there's a decent chance that Shapen goes down in at least one of these games, <laughs> even if just for a couple series. Uh, that's from Bear Coog. So, all right. Well, stay, stay healthy, Blake Shapen, because uh, the fan base doesn't have confidence that it will. But, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I get it. I get it. Uh, but, again, we'd be saying the same thing if it was Gary Bohannon. Uh, or maybe we would, but should be if we weren't. Uh, Joel Clack groupie, I just don't believe that a and staff declaring QB1 shortly after the spring game had much to do with confidence in the backups or person over player for GB. They did it to keep shaping. He wasn't staying if not to start. His market value was peaking, especially once he proved his shoulder was fine. The rest was letting the chips fall where they may. Now, if Grayson is right that the staff is not planning to take a scholarship portal quarterback, that would be a tell that the staff has confidence in both backups. If they only trust one, they'll need to burn a scholarship on a transfer with experience.
1: Um, I'm not so sure that I, I I believe in that conspiracy theory. I think. Yeah, me neither. I, I think that if they wouldn't have named a quarterback and gone into the fall that way, I think they would have been able to find a way to keep both of them. Um, Now, obviously, if they had named Gary the starting quarterback, then, yeah, Shapin probably has to look at his other options. Um, But I think they did this to do the person over player thing for Gary and allow him to go find a landing spot somewhere else while also saying, hey, Blake, you're our best quarterback. You're our best shot at winning a national championship. So I think that's why they did it, to be honest. I don't think it was just to keep Shapin. I mean, Obviously, they named him because they felt like he was the best option. It wasn't just so like, we just need to keep him. He's not great, but he's a little bit better than Gary. I, I, that's how I'm reading this, and I, I don't believe in that. Now, as far as the other part, um, the whole transfer portal part, I think there's a chance they could take a quarterback in the portal, but I'm just not seeing it right now. The way they've kind of structured their scholarships with – um, Kyron Drones and Austin Nova said, "I just, I think they're gonna, you know, grind it out this year. Try to find ways to keep their quarterbacks healthy. I think they have enough faith in their backup quarterbacks to get through this year, and then again, they'll get Nova sad in uh, December. So, yeah, I think that's kind of where they're at at the quarterback position right now, and they feel great about Blake Shapin as the starter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't really." I mean, I see where he's coming from, but I don't really get the whole. They did it to keep shaping, but you just say just discard Gary. Like, see, dude, I don't know. I I I don't. I'm not sure. I have to probably reread that again. But I, I, yeah, I think they definitely want to keep shaping. Like, I don't think you name a starting quarterback just to keep the guy on campus. Like, there's too much at stake to do that. Like, this is not a game you could play around and just like fiddle faddle with you know, roster spots and just whatever. Like, we've seen chaos break loose. You have to be fully prepared. I don't think they wanted to lose either guy, but the reality of it is is that they were bound to either way. So if you think Shapin's better, then yeah, you want to keep shaping. If you think Bohannon's better, then you name Bohannon the starter and you lose Shapen. But either way, you're losing a guy, right? So I don't think there's like a – really anything more to it than that quite frankly is they did a service to both guys and they named who they think's the best player at the end of the day and it just so happens that it creates a little bit of a problem depth wise but again they would be facing that if Gary Bohannon was the starting quarterback right now so um kind of damned if you do damned if you don't anyway, unless you want to play the game and take it into fall and then have a disgruntled guy sit on your bench and maybe transferring midseason because he's not seeing time because that's how it would Play out probably the other way. Or you hope for the magical scenario where they both get hurt like last year and they're both forced to stay, which the odds of that are ridiculous. And planning that is ridiculous because you can't plan that. So, yeah, I mean, um, uh, it is what it is, I guess. Doc Crow, how are you feeling about tennis with their performance so far? Uh, I think we're feeling pretty good about it, Grayson.
1: Yeah, I feel good about it. I mean, I mentioned that. You know, they haven't looked as good as Tennessee in these past two rounds. Tennessee has only dropped one game in their last, or one set, I guess, in their last three matches during the NCAA tournament, Um, whereas Baylor's looked far more shaky. Uh, But I will say they're grinding and they're finding ways to win. And like I said, I think the fact that they haven't played their best tennis yet might be a good sign. It might be one of those things where they finally play their best tennis against Tennessee and then in four. I'm hoping that's the case because if they play like they have against A&M and against um, Stanford, then I think they'll probably lose to Tennessee on uh, Wednesday or Thursday. Doc
0: Crow, when do you think the 24 class will be full by? Wow, 2024?
1: 24. They haven't even – they have, what, one commit for 24? Right. Um You're going to be waiting until probably December of 2023. Yeah. So 18
0: months, uh, (laughs) give or take, whatever. Uh, If you meant the 2023 class, I'm
1: assuming that's what you meant. Um, December of 2022? (laughs) Um, It'll probably be full by then. But like I said, I think they'll get a big chunk this summer. I really do. I think they'll make a lot more strides towards getting to that 20 number um, and I think that's around the class size, um, could be a couple spots bigger. Um, but yeah, I think by the end of the summer, you'll have a much better idea of what this 2023 class is going to look like in totality.
0: Thank you, Doc. Tim Bear, please ask how much better is the Baylor offense predicted to be now that we have shape as quarterback?
1: Yeah, so I actually got a question about this in my chat uh, this week. And um, basically, it was kind of saying how Baylor was 40th in scoring offense a year ago. And the teams that made the college football playoff were all inside the top 16. Uh, So Baylor's got to make a jump, it seems, at least to get on par with the teams from a year ago. I'm going to say I don't love points per game because a lot of times it's... um, kind of comes down to how badly you beat your non-conference opponents. Like, you hang 60 on those dudes, and then that really jumps up your scoring. But I think overall, Baylor will probably get to around 36, 37 points per game this year, um, which would be a huge upgrade and would put them inside the top, right around top 15 Um, And I think that's probably a good expectation for this team. And if they do get to that number, I think that'll allow them to be much better, um, more consistent, especially. So I think my biggest takeaway was they're going to be worse in the time of possession statistic, which is a good thing because most of the teams that made the college football playoff were not inside the top 20 in time of possession because they were far more explosive. And Baylor was not explosive last year which I think held them back because it forced them to be perfect. It forced them to run the ball, not fumble it, not throw interceptions, grind out the clock, score points in the red zone. This team, I think, will be able to do that but I also think they'll have much more home run ability, which really kind of covers up the mistakes of having to go, you know, 11 plays every single time you score a touchdown. If you can narrow that to having, you know, a couple drives where it only takes you, you know, five plays or three plays, I think that'd be a huge upgrade. And I think that's what you're getting with Blake Shapen at quarterback.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's more of the big play ability and uh, more of the quick strike uh, capability, uh, whereas it was, sort of very plotting at times, you know, grinding out, like he says, like 11, 12 play drives, um, you know, three plays for a first down, three more plays for another first down, you know, kind of. I do think it'll be like first down, second down, first down, second down, first down, you know, kind of like that. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think there's a little bit more explosiveness um, in the passing game in particular, and that can set up some more explosiveness in the, uh, explosiveness via the running game well uh so that's i think we both see eye to eye on on kind of where he's he's bringing them offensively yeah i don't know about scoring 50 a game or anything crazy i don't know if they do a shootout every single week defense is still going to be their bread and butter but i do think they can compete probably better in shootouts this year with blake than versus gary i, I would think so um but you know we will see um but a lot of blake blake shaping you are in the spotlight son you're definitely in the spotlight now as QB1. So uh, hopefully he's, you know, fully prepared and fully ready. I believe he is. Otherwise, I don't think they would have named the starter or named him the starter if they didn't feel like he was capable of doing it. I think that's his bottom line uh, ultimately. But do appreciate everybody's questions this week. Uh, some familiar faces and some not so familiar faces. And hopefully, if you're one of the new faces, then uh, definitely hope you're a part of the party moving forward. But, Grayson, anything before we.
1: No, that's just a great way to end it right there is just kind of saying, you know, if you haven't asked questions in the past or if you do ask questions, please ask more. Uh, because as we get through the summer, y'all's questions really get us thinking and, and really debating and getting more conversation going. So uh, please ask questions if you have any. If you've never asked a question before, please give it a try. I promise we won't get mad at any question that is asked or say anything about it, we'll answer it to the best we can. Um, And if you do ask questions already, please please continue it because we love to answer them.
0: All right. For uh, Jack McKenzie doing a great job behind the scenes and for Grayson Grunhey for Oak, and definitely check out all the content uh, all over the website. Uh, The seasons may be over for some and winding down for others, but the, the championships being played for we've got that all covered and Of course, uh, football never sleeps, and neither does basketball really either. Uh, So for everything Baylor Athletics, uh, definitely hop on over to Sikkim365.com. And if you haven't already, become a premium member. Uh, That's the best way to support us as well as listen to the radio show and listen to this podcast as well. If you haven't already, download the Sikkim365 app and check us out 3 to 6 Monday through Friday. It's also where you'll hear pre-games during the season, midway games, as well during the high school season, Connelly football as well all available on the Sikkim 365 app in the iTunes store and uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, thanks to Jack, thanks to Grayson, and thanks to you out there for listening. I'm Craig Smoke, and until next time, this has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.